Ovest, Florenzi, eccolo il cross tagliato di testa, che da Capital of the world. What a strike! What a goal! What a comeback! What a game! There are no words to describe it! It's the TC Martin Show. Les Georges, mais cette fois-ci, il n'y en a pas pour Marco Reus. Très fort devant le but. Oh, Prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Largo pifio. Messi la tiene. Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está Iniesta. Gol! 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 Cerebro! Cerebro! Cerebro Iniesta! The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us on a terrible Tuesday. What's so terrible about it? Raiders. I guess so, right? Use your own adjective, all right? We will ask our writer today what his adjective is. One word to describe this Raiders team. Sam Gordon will join us next hour. The esteemed writer from the Las Vegas Review Journal. We'll talk to Sammy today. Lincoln Kennedy will join us. Big Link, the 11-year NFL veteran, of course, does a fantastic job on the Raiders radio network. Lincoln Kennedy, the three-time All-Pro offensive tackle, eight years with the Raiders. Love Big Link, and he will join us today. TJ Reeves will join us back from Germany, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting a victory. That is... Terrible Tuesday takes and a whole lot more coming your way on the program. Glad to have you with us here. Of course, streaming live wherever you may be, tcmartinshow.com. Love having everyone here. Don't forget, Friday, we'll be back at the West Gate of Las Vegas, the world-famous Superbook, the non-smoking Superbook, which I love. We all love, right? Exactly. All right. So a lot to hit on uh, today. So yeah, we will continue Talking Raiders, uh, more recap from what we talked about yesterday. You heard the, the audio. If you missed that yesterday, you can go to the website and check out yesterday's show. An emotional Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback, uh, just basically saying, use the words. He's pissed off, does not like the two and seven record, does not like the attitude of some teammates, uh, hinting. And basically calling out some teammates, saying, you know, the Raiders have had a lot of healthy scratches, as we know as well, too. And Darren Waller being one of those. Uh, and a lot of people think that he was pointing at Darren Waller for saying, you know, hey, guys aren't as invested as I am. The words of Derek Carr yesterday. Last time I saw Darren Waller, I was smoking a cigar with him at the parade for the Las Vegas Aces. And, again, would never say anything derogatory towards Darren Waller. He's a great player. He's a great guy, great attitude. And as I talked about last week, you know, hamstring injuries are tough. 
I mean, they are, they take a long time to recover from a hamstring injury. And, you know, people think, ah, oh, that's, that is, you cannot be 75, 80% in play football or any sport for that matter, especially with, you know, stop and go, that type of sport with a hamstring injury. But he hasn't played going on what six games now and, you know, often injured, even earlier on in the season. Remember, did not play in any preseason games. And he took uh, a little wrath for coming to Las Vegas Aces games. And, you know, especially when the Raiders had a game the exact same day. But he said he had permission. Don't fault him for that. And again, I really like Darren Waller a lot. He's been on the show, uh, just good guy. You know, what he's been through in his life and to the overcome the the drug and the alcohol addiction that, that he's went through and what he's doing in the community to, to help people. And if you have not seen the story on the last edition of Real Sports, HBO Real Sports, make sure you watch that. It t- takes you into the life of Darren Waller, what he lived through and his addiction, nearly, nearly killing himself, uh, to where he is uh, today and what he's doing in this community. So all Raider fans would love to see the all-pro tight end come back and play, but again, he's been, let's call it basically kind of a, a healthy scratch, you know, the last few weeks. All right. So yeah, so we've got a lot to on the table to talk about today. Great guest lineup, uh, as you know, and, uh, Numchuck, why didn't you, uh, I offered you to bring you Freddy's today and you, you, t- you turned me down again. I did turn you down. Yeah. But was it something else you're holding out for? Did yeah, you did buddy. you eat before? Oh, no. is that I'm, what I'm, I'm holding out. You're holding out. I'm holding out. Okay. When what do you what do you hold out for? You want to tell me? I can't. It's it's not a sponsor. Is that okay? You know you know the rules. It's, it's a yeah. It's a, it's a competitor. Yes. Oh really? Yes. Wow. Wow. Shame on you. Shame on you. I mean that. Sorry. The double jalapeno pepper jack burger today was so delicious. Ah. Oh. Juicy. Everything I'm going to have the is going to be the, in flames the, tomorrow. The hot fried. The what? Everything I'm going to have tonight is in flames. In flames. In flames. I understand. It's about time. It's about time you're getting some flames. I've been trying to get you to get some flames for a while, so I understand where you're going with that. All right. Very nicely done. All right. Uh, as we normally get on a terrible Tuesday, we usually get a food report from the Reeves household in Tampa, Florida. And I'm, I'm sure that is going to be coming because... T.J. Reeves just got back from Germany. And as I mentioned yesterday, I can hardly wait for the report back. But I got a feeling we're also going to get a food report, too, because getting him on the show today was something like an election. Whether he could come on the show or not, because there was division in the household about they were going out to dinner, not going out to dinner, what was on the menu. So I'm, I'm dying to hear about that. But more importantly... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers get a victory over the Seattle Seahawks in Bundesliga country, Bayern Munich. Yes, Einstein, Liechtenstein, Schweinsteiger. TJ Reeves, I want to hear all about Germany. The Buccaneers sideline reporter, yes, he was there working for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but more importantly, he was reconning for yours truly. Welcome aboard, my friend. Welcome back it's to the USFA. It's always good to be with you. 
especially uh, off of an historic win in Germany for the Buccaneers and a good time had by all every which direction. Are you making political references and election references when you're still counting votes in Nevada right now? <laughs> I mean, we've got a divided house in my house right now on what to do for dinner, but that's a little less significant than who's the governor, who's the senators, who are who are representatives in Congress. Uh, you guys in Arizona are like in the race on Terrible Tuesday of, of uh, idiocy here. How are we still counting votes? I have been to a foreign country and back. We have been through a hurricane and been to a foreign country and back, and you're still counting votes. Let's chalk that up on a terrible Tuesday, please, as we begin the conversation. The only votes I know that uh, that are being miscounted or, or, or gone wild is the AL Rookie of the Year and the Manager of the Year awards. That's the only votes that I know about, TJ Reid. I don't know what you're talking about, you know, politics. All I know is my man Steve Sisolak is, is, is surrendered. He, he waved the white flag. Uh, Sheriff Joe Lombardo, uh, uh, you know, is is, is, is is no longer the mayor of Hooterville, or the Sheriff of Hooterville, and uh, you know now he's the governor of Nevada. So there you have it. Maybe two of the same. Yeah. Who knows? I have it, no idea. Uh, you know what? It doesn't top. While we digress for just one more second, because Gene Deckerhoff, our legendary play-by-play voice, was telling Jesse the Body Ventura stories because yeah. Jesse the Body was the color commentator on Buccaneers Radio when the Bucks were really bad in the late '80s when Gene began. And so Jesse the Body Ventura progressed from professional wrestler. To broadcaster, yes. uh, including a talk show in Minnesota, including being on an NFL broadcast. Oh, to governor of the state of Minnesota. That's Let's right. just go ahead and run the entire state. So anything is truly possible. There's no doubt well, about wait that. Wait a minute. The precedent was set uh, way back when with Ronald Reagan. I mean, actor yeah, right. Arnold Schwarzenegger, California. I mean, what are you talking about? That's all, you know. What, what is it that Dr. Emmett Brown uh, says to Marty in uh, Back to the Future? Who's the vice president, John Wayne? <laughs> <laughs> let me tell so, you. Um, let me tell you something, brother. Jesse the Body got not nothing on anybody else. T.J. Reeves, you and Gorilla Monsoon, you two ham and over there. There you it's go. Over. Who just flew in from Hollywood? Comments, McMahon. I don't deal in comments. I deal in facts. And the fact is this: for all these Hoosier losers out here, and for you too, the fact is, Andre the Giant has waited almost one year to get his hands on World Champion Chuck Hogan. And the fact is, the Giant is going to win. The champ is going down. I predict it. There it is. I, I think. I think my Jesse the Body Ventura was spot on. It was pretty good. Yes. Thank you. Uh, it's over, McMahon. You need to stop worshiping Hogan. <laughs> anyway, we have digressed. How did we get there? Oh, we got there on the whole thing about elections and him actually having it, it, been the governor. It, it, it doesn't matter. Schwarzenegger, yeah. by the way, having been a governor. It doesn't I mean, matter. I mean, Herschel, Herschel Walker in our lifetime. Herschel Walker has a chance at the United States Senate still. I mean, these are crazy times. These are definitely crazy times that we now live is, in, including. Is it- is it Herschel Walker and uh, both Steve Young still cashing checks from the USFL? They potentially are. <laughs> yes, New Jersey General's check. Is, is Donald Trump se- uh, signing those checks? There you go. Bring it full I, circle. I do not believe so. Donald Trump has got a uh, big announcement week went coming up any time now. I don't want to hear uh, this. tonight. Literally, I don't want to. And hear I don't this. think that announcement is that he is now going to go back into the USFL, which well, th- is putting there new it is. franchises out. The breaking news. There, here it is. The breaking news. Donald Trump could be taking over the Las Vegas Vipers. There it is. All right. uh, So back to your original question on what did we eat. I can dateline you Saturday night, the breaking news, Saturday night, the Hofbra House. 
in downtown Munich, Germany, was packed with Buccaneer fans. The okay. ale was flowing. The uh, the brats were flowing. I did not have a bratwurst. I did pork schnitzel, doctor, and I believe I sent you a photo. I at least put it on Facebook. Pork schnitzel with the cold potato salad with the vinegar on it and the red kind of runny cabbage that I wasn't quite sure what that was. That was the gourmet meal Saturday night at the Hopper House. And I have to say it was pretty good. That I sounds it seven, totally seven unattractive. Day. Totally unattractive, the way you described that. The cold potato oh. salad was all right, oh. but the pork schnitzel was good. It was hot. Pork it was schnitzel's good. good. Yes, I like the yeah. schnitzel. I like the schnitzel music, too. And then, like, the too. red cabbage is a different flavor to go along with it. I wasn't quite sure what it was, and somebody said, oh, yeah, that's red cabbage. I said, okay, good. I'm from Florida. But nonetheless, uh, so, uh, yeah, and, and the beer steins were, uh, were flowing back and forth. There were ladies, you would have loved this, there were ladies walking around with the biggest pretzels you've ever seen. They looked like they, 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 they looked like bases uh, back in the World Series that they were walking around with. Uh, and I think they were about 17 euro each. So Linda Hoosian. Uh, yes, we had a great time uh, in Munich on Saturday night and then had to get back to the hotel and uh, get ready for the game on Sunday. And I, I cannot convey enough the amount of interest, excitement, even early on, because remember now, the game was uh, 6.30 a.m. Pacific time for you guys in Vegas and for the Seahawks fans and everybody waking up early, but it was 3.30 in the afternoon, uh, Germany time, much later in the afternoon. By the time we got there, right around noon local time, there were easily 40,000 people that were already, I'm not exaggerating, that were already ready to go in and around tailgating, uh, cheering, chanting, it was crazy. They opened the doors two hours before the game, about one thirty local time, and most everybody came in and filled up the stands. It's an hour before the game, and, and kind of like a Super Bowl atmosphere. Everybody's in their seats, wanting to soak everything up. So, quite the scene there on a sunny night, and the Buccaneers played like a playoff team. Really, for the first three-plus quarters, they were bullying the Seattle Seahawks, which was a bit uh, surprising. The Seahawks made a big comeback in the fourth, but in the end... TB12 makes more history, Doctor, as he wins a fourth NFL regular season game in a fourth different country. Nobody's ever done that. The United States, obviously, England, Mexico. Oh, and let's include Deutschland, Germany. So there's four. Uh, uh, Quartet, uh, okay. brother. Numchuk wants to say something, but before I do, do you understand that you just went in about 14 different directions, of you know, course. probably driving the wrong way on the wrong side of the street there in Europe, in, in Germany. I mean, you went from, from food to pretzels to the, to the crowd to Tom Brady to the game itself. I really don't care about the game itself right now at this point in time. <laughs> I care less. I want to go I back, to, go back to food. I, want, I, I, I got questions for you, TJ. Questions. Please. I think Numchuk has a question. Go I actually, ahead. yes, I do. TJ, I, I know you're busy right now. <laughs> I, know, I know you're with wife. Does the pretzel that they were carrying, is that a key? Is that a fake word for something? No fake words, my friend. The largest pretzels you've ever seen. Okay. They were like the size of placemats. Look where your around. mind is at, you know? I mean, just because you need a secret password is, why, to get hey, into your massage doctor, parlor three doctor, doctor, doors why down. Why is today any other day with yeah. numbshot on you, where man. his mind is? I mean, this they, is not any other yeah, typical yeah, day. Yeah. So There you go. Yes. I, I let you get on the mic for that. Yes, you did. For that? For that. <laughs> Jeez. TJ, can you cut cut off his mic? Hold on, distance? hold on. Can, can we get a, a, a Jersey update? The breaking news is nowhere to be found oh, on the Germany God. national team. Cut jersey. this guy I off right look. now. What? I, did, I, I realize this could be the end of our conversation. I did look 
for you. And especially in around downtown Munich, I will say this, we found one like sporting goods or a merchandise store that literally had about 300 people waiting outside. The street was packed. I thought something had happened. I didn't know if the police were coming or what was going on with all the people outside the store. And it was the line to get in the sporting merchandise store that had all NFL Buccaneers and Seahawks gear. And the wait, we were told, was an hour and a half to get in the store <laughs> to go try to that, buy that's something. That's like my story. But I window shopped. I window shopped and looked. I might have waited that hour and a half for the doctor. But there were no Germany national team jerseys uh, to be found in that area. So, And then at uh, FC Bayern Munich's stadium, Allianz Arena, I was looking around. They didn't have, on the inner bowl of the stadium, they didn't have merchandise anywhere. From what I was told, I believe it was outside the stadium that they were selling merchandise. So did not have access. So we are still efforting to get the doctor a, a Germany World Cup jersey. It did not happen in Munich. Perhaps we should have been in Berlin hey, or Frankfurt or somewhere else. <laughs> <Right>. TJ, it <laughs> took no. me two seconds to look. I found him on on Amazon. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could well, Amazon. I, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying that maybe that hadn't already been contemplated and executed, <laughs> Dumbchuck. I'm just saying I didn't purchase in Munich because there were none to be found. I can't give you what I don't. Are you have. kidding me? The, the World Cup is two weeks away. Less than two weeks away. It could have. It was probably on every street corner. It was probably on the nearest brothel, the Seven <laughs> Eleven, the Schnitzel joint. I mean, you name it, you could find a jersey. Hey, why didn't you go to the local Walmart there in uh, in, in Munich? I mean, give me a break. We do have an update. We do have an update. That there go. is a version of Walmart called Kaufland, K A U F L A N D, pronounced Kaufland, and Kaufland was right next to where we were staying. We were kind of staying out in the boonies in the uh, middle of the northern suburbs of Munich, about 40 minutes away from downtown, I did venture over to the Kaufland. No merchandise for the Germany national wow. team, although they wow. did have plenty of goat's milk, cheese, <laughs> and other kinds of assorted goodies in the Kaufland. No jerseys, no merchandise, no memorabilia from the World Cup. TJ Reeves joined as the Bucks sideline reporter back from Munich, Germany, uh, giving us the sights, the sounds, the food. Of course, I want to hear it all. Okay, so here's what I want to know. So you kind of mentioned a little bit about the crowd. I'm intrigued about that. Uh, the game, the game in Germany, the games, the NFL games in Europe here. Uh, what were some of the glaring differences from, let's say, the crowd itself, from the game presentation to even the tailgate, et cetera, there? What were the, the glaring differences if you go to a, a normal NFL game here in the States? Take your pick, whether it's Tampa Bay, Green Bay, any stadium compared to where you were at on Sunday. In Munich. Okay, so the first thing is, is this was obviously a soccer stadium, so it is built more kind of set back away from the field because the pitch, as right. they call it, I don't right. know what the German word is, right. is much bigger, much wider. Universal. Yes. So the pitch is the pitch much wider, and so you're set back away from the field some. So that's the first noticeable thing. The grass was not great, and it, it was more of a a tightly cut type of grass that they want to utilize for soccer so the ball rolls better, rolls faster, was not great for footing in the NFL. And you saw the Bucks slipping and sliding every which direction trying to figure out the cleats, and the Seahawks had to change out the cleats at halftime too. So that was also noticeable. The thing that you're struck by right away, and I knew this was coming, is they play the two national anthems right before the game. So the American national anthem goes first, and the young woman from the U.S. Uh, Navy sang the national anthem and boomed uh, the Star Spangled Banner. All right, so that, that had some singing. There were obviously some Americans and some that knew it. 
Well, then they had the pop star Sophia. That's her, that's her name. Sophia is the big German pop star right now. She sang the German national anthem. And when she struck that up, the entire 78,000 belted out with her. I think it was loud enough that the doctor could have heard it back in Vegas. <laughs> that's how loud they were. So that's the first real indication you have. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. We're officially in Germany with, uh, with them performing this song. Now, what's interesting is, and I don't know if you're going to get to this, and I'm going to take your question again, but much later and late in the game, your audience has probably heard this, you saw this, saw it on the internet, they cranked up Country Road, Take Me Home from John Denver, and what? everybody in the stadium had stayed, and they all knew the words. <laughs> they all knew the words to Country Road, so not only did they know the words in German to the German national anthem, but they could break down a little John Denver Country Road as well. In that, the crowd. It's a classic. I mean, we, we see you know, music like this, American music, old American music, that are just staples in foreign countries. So uh, not a shock. But, uh, you know, we had Steve Sachs on yesterday, and we talked about so many, you know, uh, super sounds of the 70s, the one-hit wonders. He banged the drum yesterday to uh, uh, what uh, we did, Brother Louie, uh, uh, Honky Cat from Elton John. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me. Uh, we got a John Denver reference today. What are you playing? This is not. Leben ist alt this, oh. älter als die Stadt. This is, is the, this German the, German ver- the German version of Take Me Home Country Road. There we go. Hit it there, Schweinsteiger. As long as there's no Adolf Hitler reference in there, we're good. But I can tell you. Give that the record scratch. They were singing in English big time uh, during the final minute of the game. Country Road, arm in arm, nobody had left. It was wild. It was kind of, I don't think anybody really expected it was going to be that loud and that singing. And it was a neat thing. And a bunch of people turned their cell phone flashlight uh, lights on. And so there were 30, probably 30 or 40,000 flashlights swaying back and forth. It was crazy. And there it is. You can hear them. There it is. That's from Sunday's game. Where do they know what West Virginia is? They have no idea. They don't know anything about incest. I mean, come on. Okay. All right. There, there it is. That's well, it. apparently, as I am told, one final thing on that is this is very popular in uh, the the uh, the fest houses, the bars, the pubs. This is a popular drinking song that everybody knows okay. and, a, and a chorus that everybody knows and there it was on uh, on Sunday. So you know what that tells me? If you're saying that 78,000 plus they were actually singing along with the German National Anthem, because you remember a lot of the games in England, we've talked to Paul Buck Power Stewart about this, is that you know you get a lot of the military base guys, a lot of uh, Americans who live over there. So I mean, what is your guess about percentage of actual Americans that were in the stadium compared to the native Germans? Well, it's a good question, and we got to interview Roger Goodell. I'm just name-dropping away on the T.C. Martin Show. I got to interview him Sunday morning early, and he said to us, listen, he said two things. He said, the first thing is, this has been about 30 years in the making to play a regular season game here. And he said, I was working in the NFL office, and I was the point person for the exhibition game that we would play every year in Germany. It was my responsibility to take care of everything, all of the details, the accommodations for the team, stadium deal, all of that for those games back in the early 1990s. They played like three years in a row an American Bowl preseason game somewhere in Germany. A couple times it was in Berlin, and another time it was somewhere else. They had not ever played in Munich. Uh, so he said this has been 30 years in the making, he said, but what you have to understand is that the American 
military bases like you're talking about have been playing football against each other, American football against each other, going back to like the 1960s and 70s when we have all these military bases there. I think there's 11 of them actually hey, in Germany. This goes back to and, the movie MASH, as you remember. Yeah. Come on now. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, look at look at Hawkeye. I mean, Hawkeye could play with the leg, but Trapper <laughs> could throw that football. And don't forget Fred Williamson. MASH was supposedly Korea, and this is Germany, Doesn't but matter. I get your point. There you go. You, you get my yeah. point exactly. Fred Williamson, the hammer. So what he... What he was relating was it really began kind of from there. And there, you're right. There are uh, several million Americans that live on the military bases and work as civilians in Germany, and they are huge American football fans. And so I would say to answer your question, it was at least, at least 50% Americans that were probably there that obviously speak German and can sing the German national anthem. I think there were a ton of Americans. There seemed to be some more. Seahawk fans than Buccaneer fans. Of course, Seahawk fans weren't cheering at all the first three quarters, but they made a lot of noise in the fourth quarter. Uh, but they cheered at the right time. That's how you know. Like when we played the games in England in 2009 and 2011, the crowd didn't kind of cheer at the right time. They didn't know when to cheer. Here, they knew when to get loud. When the, when the Buccaneers had a key third down, the Seahawk fans were loud and the crowd was loud. Or when somebody caught a ball for a first down, the place would erupt. You know, big tackle, the place would erupt. At all the right, at all the right moments. So again, I think because they have had so many Americans there for decades and decades and decades, they're football fans. I mean, bear in mind, just one more point on this. They're going to probably play a regular season game in Frankfurt coming up as well, which is a couple of hours from Munich. Um, and Frankfurt was the most successful NFL Europe team for like three years. They, they, the won Galaxy. Two championships. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. The Frankfurt Galaxy. They regularly had 50, 55,000 people at every game for their home games. So it's not like that was a, you know, a joke where they had 10,000 people at these NFL Europe games. They were nuts for the games. So you obviously have Americans and a built in fan base to go back there. And Roger Goodell confirmed, Hey, for the next four years, we're going to be back here with a Germany game. I know the Patriots and the Packers also have territorial rights along with the Buccaneers to be able to play games there. So stay tuned on which ones end up as international games in Germany. Great stuff. TJ Reeves back from Germany. And final thing on this real quick. So how comfortable were you and just say an average American going back? to to Munich in Germany as far as the language goes uh you know just you know transportation food options all that sort of thing it was very comfortable we had no problems uh we actually went to the the Munich Olympic Park where the 1972 yeah. Munich Olympics were held with the stadium there and all the the arenas and on another day on another show we'll talk about the 72 Olympics and me yes. being in Munich just yeah. remind me we'll talk about all that yeah, I but know. the people could not have been more polite uh I, I actually was trying to find uh, the memorial for the Israeli athletes that had been murdered. And I was walking and looking, and then this guy comes right up to me with his wife, and he goes, hey, what are you looking for in English? And I said, we're looking for the Israeli memorial. He goes, well, it's right over here. He goes, it's about 100 yards that way. I said, thank you. I said, where are you guys from? And he said, we're from New York. I said, are you here from the game? And I got Buccaneer jacket on. I said, are you here from the game? He goes, oh, we're huge NFL fans, but we're not going tomorrow. We're going to watch on TV. I said, well, cool. So the, I, it was a New York couple that helped me in the Munich <laughs> Olympic Park Go find what we were looking for. And then walking around downtown Munich, I mean, there are people everywhere. Now, obviously, there were a lot of Buccaneer and Seahawk fans that were walking around downtown trying to find stuff along with us. But it was, I mean, we were well treated by all of it, never felt unsafe. Uh, so, again, it was, a, it was a ton of fun 
to be there, be part of that. And the neat part is it's the first. It's the first ever one. I mean, for example, Julio Jones catching that touchdown in the first half, I would bet you that's going to end up that ball in the Hall of Fame. Why not? Because 50 years from now, 100 years from now, the first ever touchdown in a game in Germany, that's your, that's yours. That's your football. You would want that in the Hall of Fame. And Tom Brady gets the first ever win as a quarterback of, of an NFL team. The Buccaneers get the first ever win. So it was neat to be part of that for sure. I think you better uh, you forget all that. Put, put in your little scrapbook the first schnitzel that you had in Germany. That's what you got to do, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate uh, appreciate it, TJ. Uh, and again, I I am jealous because I would I would love to to uh, experience uh, that, especially an NFL game back there. But yes, when I go back, it, it's got to be for a German national game or a Bundesliga game, uh, no doubt. But uh, that's a great, I understand. Great, but great this report. song, hey, look, this is this was one of the moments. The song that Nunchucks play in yep. the country road with the yep. fans singing was quite the moment. And then Brady waving to the crowd headed to the tunnel because everybody stayed. I mean, there was still 70,000 people there hey, with the game over. I would say... And he was waving to the crowd like a conquering hero. Listen, it was quite the scene. I, I was right there for that. Our on-the-spot correspondent, our German correspondent, T.J. Reeves, uh, we appreci- appreciate everything you did, my friend. Again, uh, you have uh, a semi-failing grade because you checked all the boxes except bringing the doctor home a German national jersey. The one thing, the only, the one thing that I requested, that was it. That's it. But that's okay. Everything else, you, you got your boxes checked. So I know how that is. You go on the road. You're a little busy. Tight time frame. But uh, there it is. I mean, you got no problem bringing me, you know, a, a Dick shirt. You know, a Dick Packer shirt, a Dick Bear shirt, a Dick Eagle shirt. Dick, 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 Dick. Yeah, you know, Dicker the Kicker. Yeah, from Texas, no problem. But no German national shirt. King of Dicks, but no... That's, uh, that's a great way to end the uh, the segment here. I'll show myself out now, which is saying <laughs> Buccaneers 5-5 five and five after the win in Germany. And now to the bye week, Doctor. Stay tuned. We will. We'll, we'll talk to you before. Enjoy your bye week as you get ready for those Cleveland Browns. Thanks a lot, brother. Talk to you later. Be well with the desert, boys. There it is. T.J. Reeves. <sighs> One assignment. One assignment. I don't ask for much. T.J. Reeves. King of the Dicks. <laughs> Lincoln Kennedy, not to be confused with any of that, is coming up next on Tigerinas. Now, more of your favorite personal sports physician. Don't make me big. T.C. Martin. Of course, you are a character. Doesn't mean that you have character. The Doctor is now in. One, two, three, four. Get up, get on up, get up. All right, don't forget to join us at the Westgate on Friday, our Friday home, the world-famous Superbook. Yes, the largest in the world. Broadcasting live each and every Friday from 2 to 4 p.m., our best bet segment, and a whole lot more. And don't forget our good friend Jay Schrader, who joins us uh, on Fridays. Remember to vote. For Jay, as he is the Raiders nominee for the 2022 Salute to Service Award, you can vote at NFL.com. And, of course, we know Jay, a huge advocate for the veterans and his charities, the Liberty Projects, uh, Shiloh Ranch, the headquarters for Jay's um, uh, Liberty Projects uh, venture. Fantastic. 
uh, where Jay's commitment to supporting the military extends to his daily dealings there at the Shiloh Ranch, helps advocate and raise money for the charitable organization dedicated to the preservation and the well-being of our veterans, and of course, the American Wild Mustangs. The ranch allows veterans an outlet to interact with horses for training, rehabilitation, and camaraderie, and uh, love talking to Jay about the Liberty Projects. Remember, he has a golf tournament that happens uh, every June as well, too. And uh, he is the Raiders nominee for the Salute to Service Award. So some teams have current players, some have alumnus. Jay Schrader is the Raiders uh, nominee for the Salute to Service Award. So you have a couple weeks to get your votes in. So please vote for Jay at NFL.com. Scroll down to the Salute to Service uh, voting icon there. All right. Speaking of icons, uh, join us now, our, our very good friend, longtime offensive tackle. Of course, 11 years in the NFL Eight with the Raiders, three-time Pro Bowler, and of course, currently the game analyst on the Las Vegas Radio's Raider Network. Big time Lincoln Kennedy. What is going on, Link? What's happening, man? How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. Hey, great seeing you uh uh there on on Sunday, uh, of course, doing your thing. Yeah. And I love I love the way, you know, like me, you got time to squeeze in a couple hot dogs there uh, you know, prior to the broadcast. You got to squeeze it in because you got to keep that stomach as 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 upset as possible because the product we're going to see on the field is going to make you nauseous. So you got to have something to throw up. You can't have dry heaves that hurts the chest too much. This is it. This is speaking from the veteran Lincoln Kennedy. All right, man. So I want to get into all kinds of stuff from you because you know this organization so well. Been around it around of it for for such a long time. But let's just talk about Sunday's game because I, I think. Most fans expected the the Raiders to have a much better performance. Heck, I mean, they're playing a Colts team that was in disarray, maybe more of a mess than the Raiders were. But as uh, as we saw on Sunday, uh, the Colts looked like the team that we expected the Colts to be back in September. Matt Ryan came back to play. He was fantastic. I wonder, what were your biggest takeaways from Sunday's game? Um, for the Colts side or for the Raiders side? The Raiders side. I mean, just in general. I mean, you're sitting there broadcasting this game. And I said this to Lincoln last week. I said, I really was intrigued with this game. Even though it was you know two teams coming in, the Raiders with two victories and the Colts with three, I thought it was very intriguing for everything that's taken place with these two teams because I did not know basically how to handicap this game. I didn't know what was going to transpire in this game. So I guess let's start with that and then tell me, you know what you noticed while you were broadcasting the game? Well, for the past month, when you go back to even the New Orleans game, I thought that they were games the Raiders should have won. Uh, and, and, and of course, look, I think the Saints stink. I think, I think the, the Jaguars stink. I think the Colts stink. And since we lost all of them, it must be the Raiders stink. But to, to keep it real, um, you know, from what I saw, it's like you're waiting to see that light of consistency go off if it's possible. And what I mean by that is with the, all the turmoil, all the distractions, all the IRs, and, and then the underperforming, you would wait, you, you're just hoping that maybe a team that you, you should, you should be able to dominate. Maybe, a, maybe that's the team that this is the game where it happens. And, you know, the, the first quarter was really disappointing because the Raiders went three, three and outs. Derek Carr did not complete a pass. Most of the series they had out of those three outs, they were going backwards or they weren't getting enough uh, yards, so they were forced to punt. And then meanwhile, I'm looking on the other side of the ball, and I'm seeing Matt Ryan running the RPO. And I'm like, are you kidding me? 
Matt Ryan is running the RPO, and and that that's what. It, and I said, if we can't beat a geriatric quarterback running the RPO, something's definitely wrong. Mm-hmm. And 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 then that that's exactly what happened. That's what transpired at the game. Now we saw flashes and bright points, obviously, but I, I've come to the realization that the, the the coaches that are in place do not have the players to implement their systems. And that's I'm, I'm firmly believing. I, I've, I've given up hope because everything that transpired on paper the beginning of the season, what we did see in the preseason, and we thought we were going to see in the regular season, hasn't come to fruition. And now the system that they play, they just don't have the right personnel to do it. And so it's going to be a struggle for them here from here on out. Mm-hmm. You know, we look at this from the product on the field and the, and the structure of the team off the field. Let, let's start with Josh McDaniels. What do you think of Josh McDaniels as a head coach? Because we got a chance to see him years and years ago in Denver, and it seems like he looks like to be the same coach. He's lost 24 of his last 31 games. How much of this falls on him as a head coach? And I understand it's not his players, him and Dave Ziegler. You know, Mark Davis gave him a vote of confidence, which I, I understand. I get that. But just from, you know, the standpoint of X's and O's and then the lack of execution, what you're seeing on the field, how would you grade Josh McDaniels through the first nine games? Well, to be fair, if you're a coach and you don't have the players that you think can implement your system, you can either do one or two things about it. You can just continue to just try to push through it and see if you can maybe make a square peg fit in a round hole, or you can try to change your system up to adjust to the players that you have. With that being said, I think Josh McDaniels has been trying to do the latter. The problem becomes is that you still have too far of consistent players, whomever is out there. I mean, you look at it, you see flashes like, for example, you know what you got from Devontae Adams, okay? You know what you're going to get. You're an all-pro receiver who can do run every route, who can you know go up, especially a one-on-one. But you also see teams are going to double-team him, try to take him out of the equation. And you've got to try to get creative to give him the football. But you can't force him the football. And there are times where, number four, Derek Carr tries to go out there and force him the football because he's been told, let's get the ball to Devontae Adams. That's not... You know, that, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't always work. Conversely, if you're, you know, you're, you're trying to implement a system to where you've got, you got ways that you can stretch the field with your speedy tight end. Oh, your speedy tight end is not available. Now you're going to go with Foster Moreau. Not as quick, obviously, not as fast, not the difference maker like Darren Waller. And sometimes he doesn't run the right routes. Oh, that's not on the falls on Josh McDaniels. That falls on personnel. That's, that's what I'm talking about. The inconsistency yeah. of uh, ex- execution. So to be fair, I don't think we really, really had, have had a true sample size of how either effective or ineffective Josh McDaniels is if he doesn't have players that he needs to implement a system. Now, you know, when you go back to his days in Denver and when he had Tim Tebow, I can think of many games during that season where it just seemed like Tim Tebow was improvising as a quarterback, which you don't see. But even back then, you didn't see a lot of the NFL having around running quarterbacks. Uh, and, and that was the difference maker. Um, and, and then it's just a matter of effort and accountability to me on the player side. And to be honest with you, I just don't see it unanimously. I, I see spots of it, but consistency? No, I, I don't see that at all. What do you see from Josh McDaniels as far as from a leadership standpoint? Hard to tell because I don't have access to the locker room mm-hmm. or the team playing or being around them in general. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, totally makes so, sense. I mean, I, I don't want I don't want to comment on something just out of the side of my neck. I, no, I just I appreciate you know, when that. You're, yeah. when you're when to me a head coach on a football team is a manager. 
I've never liked the head coaches calling plays. Mm-hmm. Offense, defense, otherwise. I, I need you to manage the game. I need you to manage body. Because I read body language. And, and if I'm out there, I don't want to worry about calling the next play. I don't want to worry about should I call a timeout or should I go for a fourth down. I want to be as a manager, even as an offensive slot, uh, offensive-minded manager, if, if I have an offensive coordinator and I'm in four-down territory, I'm telling them, hey, when we get the ball back, we're in four-down territory. We're not putting the ball. So you need to have four plays lined up. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to think about it to where I'm running down time, running down time on the play clock, and then I, you have to use a timeout. Or, it, it, you know, you've got players out in the field that are looking at the sideline, hey, what's the play, what's the play, and you don't have an answer. See, that, that, that to me is too much. So that's just my personal feeling aside. I've never liked a head coach that's a play caller. And, and when it comes to leadership, you know, when you talk about on the other side of the ball this past Sunday, Jeff Saturday was always a motivator, even when, even when he played. I played in Pro Bowl with him. I, I, I know him personally. I know how good of a guy he is. So for him to motivate the coaches to get the best out of their players – and for him to manage the game, that's what a head coach is to me. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you totally. And I think that's you know what fans look at Joshua Dan and not knowing him or like I said, being in the locker room. You know, fans will jump in and say, "Well, this guy looks pretty stoic." They look at the body language from the players on the sideline, and you see kind of a lack of fire. And then you see the losses start piling up. And then when they when you see a team lose all these you know close games, I mean, the Raiders zero and six in one score games. I mean, obviously that is reflective, I guess, on the coach. I mean, it's always. You know, if you're winning or losing, as we well know, it's the head coach and the quarterback. They're going to come under scrutiny. And, you know, again, when you look at Josh McDaniel, he just doesn't look like to to have that fire or does he have the guy's attention? And so those are just question marks, I think, that a lot of people, you know, would like to know. And again, when you look at his body of work, just from a wins and losses standpoint, I mean, it, it is not good. Now... Mark Davis yeah, came out. And, and that, that, Go ahead. Go ahead, Lincoln. No, I was just, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no. I'm just saying that that's, see, that's the thing. So when you, you know, when you, when you hear people in the Raider Nation calling for Josh McDaniels to be fired, look, the, the, the sad part of it is uh, during the last regime for John Gruden, you know, no one was expecting what happened to John Gruden to happen to John Gruden. Um, and when Gruden came in, he turned over the roster then. He got rid of a bunch of likable guys, including Khalil Mack and so on and so forth, to, to, to get draft picks. Those draft picks, for the most part, other than Josh Jacobs, aren't on the team anymore. And, and it's, and it's, you know, you can, you can put whatever, you know, blame you want or push, put a, put a finger at what you want. But there is something to be said about a coaching staff and a new staff coming in and whether or not they want to hang their hat on certain players. And, and because that holds them viable. And that holds them liable for it to, to see if, if they can, if it can actually work. And I, I don't feel that the players they have on this roster can implement the coach's systems on both sides of the ball. All right. Lincoln Kennedy uh, joins us. Of course, Lincoln, longtime offensive tackle, eight years with the Raiders, 11 in the league, and uh, currently the game analyst on the Raiders radio network. Derek Carr's comments, you heard him after the game, a very emotional Derek Carr. We've always, you know, seen Derek wear his emotions on his sleeves. He used the term pissed off, actually called out some teammates and was saying basically that not everyone is, may not be as invested as he might be. Uh, when you hear those comments, what are your thoughts? I expect my quarterback to take responsibility after every game because as an offensive lineman, I've always felt that quarterbacks get far too much blame when things go wrong 
and far too much praise when things go right, just like coaches. And it's a team game. You know, Tom Brady's regarded as the greatest quarterback ever, but he didn't win all those games by himself. Right. You know, most of the time when you see guys, I always go back to the example of Hall of Famers, when you see uh, guys going into the Hall of Fame and they're, you know, they're touted high, like you take the Cowboys trio uh, going into the Hall of Fame, you know, Emmitt Smith, Michael Irvin, and Troy Aikman, and not one of the offensive linemen during the era was put in until, what was it? It was um, uh, the, the, the guard, but he only played a couple of years under that trio. So what happened to all the offensive linemen? You think they got their, they got all those accolades themselves? <laughs> they did it all by themselves? So my point is this, is that I, I do believe that Derek should take responsibility after every game. Mm-hmm. And I believe that a quarterback should go up and say, you know what? I need to play better. Mm-hmm. Or we did some good things, but we, I, we can play better. I need to play better. And so I don't mind the emotion from Derek, but what you don't want to do, and this is what I have to you know, worry about, even as a former player now in the media spotlight, is be careful calling out players. Right. Because I remember having a specific conversation back in the day with Jeff George. When Jeff George came over to the Falcons when I was there, it was off the heels of him being in Indianapolis and you seeing, seeing excerpts of him calling out his lineman after being hit or giving up a sack. And I told Jeff George, I said, if you ever call me out during the game, the next play is going to be a lookout block. I'm going to turn around and yell, lookout. <laughs> you can take that to the bank. And, you know, of yeah. course, and he had his, oh, and then, you know, I'm just saying, don't you ever embarrass me right. like that. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to be a professional. I'm trying to do my job. And that's what I'm critical of when it comes to critiquing players that play now. Mm-hmm. I have never been demonstrative in any way or talking down players like they can't do things. I know players who can't do things well, and I'm hoping that they can be better. But I would never, ever go out and publicly call them out and be like, well, they're trash and they're not doing their job and stuff like that. No, you know, that, that, that's not me. So, you know, my thing, and then to sort of be a roundabout way for your answer, you know, I appreciate the emotion. I appreciate the passion that Derek has shown over that, that press conference and stuff like that. But just be very mindful and very careful of your words because this is a team and you're the leader of a team. So you've got to be responsible for your efforts, your play first before you try to talk about others. What do you feel are the effects of this locker room after players hearing his comments and then put this into context too, where you're coming off these you know, three horrendous losses and we know that locker room was just a, it was like, you know, a funeral, you know, afterwards and knowing that you have all this disappointment, you're frustrated, you see Devontae Adams, you hear Devontae Adams, and then again, you know, Carr's comments and everything. What are the effects of this locker room this week and going forward? you got to be very careful at the timing of when we're talking about these events and where we are with the season. Mm-hmm. What, are we, what are we at, week 10? Yeah. So we still have seven, eight weeks left, whatever it is. You got eight games left. Yeah, so... so <laughs> You, my, my thought pattern is this, is that I've been on teams that weren't going anywhere. I've been on the 4-12. and 12. For goodness sakes, I think I've been on the 3-13 and 13, um, team that wasn't going anywhere, if I'm not mistaken. There are times where in the season where you're like, man, I just need to get through this healthy because I want to go to Jamaica in February. Right. You know what I mean? That type of thing. You're thinking about vacation. And then when you have that, then the coaches lost the locker room. The leaders of the team have lost the locker room. And what we used to refer to um, um, on, uh, on payday 
was that you had guys who were going into the facility stealing because they're just taking their paycheck and, and covering their mouth, and not doing anything else. Right. So uh, you got to be careful about that. And, and, and that's what, you know, when you hear things or when we hear things in the media, because we're not privy there every day, we hear that, oh, this is a great week of practice. And, oh, this is just, and you get your hopes up because potentially, even on paper, we had high expectations of what this team should be like. We've seen flashes of brilliance, like, oh, my gosh, they look like gang slayers. They can do anything. And it's inconsistent. And so, you know, at this particular junction, when you start to think all is glim and, 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 and there's, no, there, there's no future, oh, man, let's just get through this, then the scores will get even more lopsided. The performances will be, will be even worse. And just like they were past this past Sunday at Legion Stadium, I've always said there's no one who's above the boo. The boo birds are going to come out more frequently and more often. What do you expect to see going forward, starting with this week against Denver? And like you said, I mean, considering you're two and seven, considering everything that we're talking about here, what do you expect to see? The good thing about the timing of this Bronco game is that the Raiders, the past two coaching staffs, have basically owned the Broncos. That's the good thing. Right. I don't know what you make of it, but that's the good thing. Um, Going outside, and if you and if you're a player who's passionate about riding the ship, the only thing that you can do is be accountable for your own play. That's the only thing you can do. So if if collectively, if you can find eleven guys at a time on the football field who have that passion, who have that level of accountability, uh, who want to be better and want to do that, and they go out and play, they should beat the Broncos. But I said that about the Saints. I said that about the Colts. <laughs> you know, it's about the Broncos. I mean, the, the Jaguars. Jaguars. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so these. I'm hoping to see a good performance. Besides, I like to talk about positive stuff. I don't like this negative crap. <laughs> <laughs> is there a silver lining, Link? What What is the silver lining with this team? I mean, we see Derek Carr. I mean, it, the, the the strike that he threw to Devontae Adams for that touchdown is phenomenal. But then again, you know, next pass or one prior to that, it's like. You know, an underthrow or an overthrow, it's like, what's going on? And not just singling him out, but we just, and you hit the nail on the head earlier. You said inconsistencies. That's exactly what you have with this team. It just predominant inconsistencies on both sides of the ball, including special teams, I guess, too. I guess if there's a silver lining, there's, it's the possibility that it's not, it's, it's not like we haven't seen it so far this year. You know, we, we, we saw that one drive in, in Jacksonville where Devontae Adams was unstoppable. Right. You know, getting catching. I mean, and you saw that. And then, you know, you, and as you referred to in the in the Colts game, the strike that Derek Carr threw to Devontae was beautiful. You know, and the touchdown, the defender ran down and he touched down after that. But we come back and and then whether it was earlier or later in the moment, I can't remember exactly. But um, you know, to throw it into triple coverage because you're trying to force the ball to him. What are you doing? You know, that's that's a no no. That could be you know that, that could be trouble. So. To answer your question, the silver lining is the fact that we've seen flashes of beautiful plays. You know, Matt Collins, for all it's worth, man, I man, I really appreciate him because this guy runs all the deep routes and on, on all the plays, and then he has to turn around and become gunner for special teams or running special teams. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I must sleep well at night. But, you know, you appreciate people like that. And even times, even a game like he had in Tennessee where he had that breakout game, no one had ever heard of Matt Collins like that before. You know, but he came out. So we've seen flashes of we know it's we know it's there, but as far as the level of consistency, it hasn't been present, even in the Raiders' wins. And they only have two of them, but it's still it's not there.
Two victories against the Houston Texans, the only team that has a worse record than the Raiders, and of course the Denver Broncos where they got that game earlier uh, at home, and now the Raiders will get a chance to go face Denver on the road this week, and and that team's a mess too, as we know. I mean, they just have not been able to get it yeah. together with with Russell Wilson, and uh, but hey, v- another very winnable game for the Raiders. Yeah, very winnable. And, you know, in, re- in reference to the Texans game, don't forget, you know, a guy by the name of Davis Mills yeah. <laughs> out of Stanford who nobody knows. Yeah. So, you know, toasted the Raiders for over 300 yards. He did. So there's yeah. a formula. There's a formula to beat the Raiders, and a number of teams have used it, even without having all the talent like some of the other, like the Chiefs or other people. And so, you know, the, the Raiders have to be mindful of that on the defensive side. But the last thing you want to do is Russell Wilson's not having a good season, and he and he looks like a, a two hundred million dollar bank robber. But uh, for the most part, you know, you would never want the capability of probably a future Hall of Famer waking up when he's playing you. I just don't think you like talking uh, you know, positive about any guys from Stanford. I mean, Davis Mills, you know, you're, you're Husky. You're oh, not no, it's not, it's, not, it's not just about Stanford. I mean, come on now, Davis Mills. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, man. Anytime <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can throw a college reference in, I'm going to do it, man. So there you go. Link- it's all good. I, hey, look, I got to do the Stanford Cal game this week in a big game. I'm looking forward to that, though. There you go, man. All right, bring your tuba, okay? There you go. (laughs) Link, I appreciate you, brother. Uh, Have a nice trip to Denver. And uh, also, yeah, the college uh, games you're doing as well, too, man. And look forward to seeing you again, man, real soon. I appreciate it, man. Have a good one. I'll talk to you later. You got it, brother. There is Lincoln Kennedy, my guy. Longtime Raider. Man, he loves the silver and black. But, hey, telling it like it is, we appreciate that. You can catch Lincoln, part of the Las Vegas Raiders radio network. All right, one hour down, one to go. Here on this Terrible Tuesday, we've got some Terrible Tuesday takes coming for you next hour as well. So hang tight with that. Sam Gordon is going to join us, and we dissect the Raiders, talk a little boxing as well, all that and a heck of a lot more coming your way on this Tuesday. Entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know. It's the TC Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know that idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea, and then uh... prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why it's funny? It wasn't. It wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me? Yeah, I don't know that idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the doctor, TC Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. laugh. The doctor is now in. Hour number two. Oh, yeah. First hour, T.J. Reeves joins us from Tampa Bay. Lincoln Kennedy talking Raiders. All of those interviews and the show, of course, will be up on the website a little bit later on, tcmartinshow.com. Check it all out. Check out our article up there about the Raiders, too, from last Sunday's loss to the Colts as far as that. And, of course, you've got the featured interview page, the classic interview, current interviews, all there for you at your disposal on the website, tcmartinshow.com. Tomorrow, don't forget, Trevor Maddich will be joining us on our Wednesday edition, Friday, back at the Westgate, inside the world-famous Superbook. So come on out, see the show live, be part of our Best Bets segment. All right, we continue on here. 
This hour, got some terrible Tuesday takes, of course, like we do, because it is our favorite day of the week where we can rant and rave. But uh, why wait till next segment when we can rant and rave more about the Raiders? Except there's not much raving. It's more ranting. Sam Gordon joins us now, the fine columnist for the Las Vegas Review-Journal and one of my all-time favorites. What's going on, Sam? Man, TC, happy Tuesday. Appreciate uh, appreciate the kind words. How you doing today? Hey, it's all good, man. All good. And, uh, you know, we got to start giving Sam Gordon some props, too, for, for his attire. Now, Sam has been showing out. Now, I don't know just because you got the tag columnist now, but, uh, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if you're at the fight. So now, now you're showing out a Raider games. I mean, Aces games. I mean, come on, man. What did you do? I mean, did you get to the wardrobe endorsement from some company? What's going on? Do I need to know about this? <laughs> no, nah, I wish, you know, hopefully soon. DC, I would love to. I would love to. Um, but, no, that was um, courtesy of my man, Brian Salmon. He recommended me to a new uh, new tailor over there off of Decatur in Charleston. Uh, picked up a couple suits. You know, I thought the, I thought the wardrobe needed a little bit of expansion now. Um, so I, I picked up a couple suits and was fortunate enough to wear <laughs> To where I think the one you're referencing on Sunday to the Raider game. So, you know, I always want to uh, represent myself in the, in the review journal, you know, as best I can, certainly with, with uh, you know, depending on the, uh, the circumstance and the event. And, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Shout out to B. Sal for, uh, for helping me out. There it is, B. Sal. Now, now, when we have him on, you know, probably later this week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, gonna to hit him with that. There you go. There he is. That's, yeah, let him know. Yeah, that's, that's good. Now, now, see, here's the thing, though, Sam. I mean, like me, okay, you know, radio guys, uh, you know, uh, you know, newspaper guys. I mean, we, you don't need to dress up. You're not on camera. Now, B Sal, he's forced to be on camera. See, so you're making me feel bad that now I need to get dressed up and show out these, these things. You know, again, I'm not, you know, you, you, you're, you're taking notes here, Sam, just like I am. I mean, what are you, what are you doing here? We, we're not on camera. TC, I think I think you look fantastic just the way it is, regardless of how you dress you and how you cover each game. So mm-hmm. I think you're doing great. <laughs> there, there you go, man. See, I got I, I got my sporty athletic look, that clean athletic look. There, there it is. Sam, the checks in the mail. Make I got you. <laughs> <laughs> too funny, too funny. All right, Sam, let's talk some Raiders here, man. Uh, another close yet embarrassing loss for the Raiders, dropping to two and seven, zero and six and one score games. One and three after the bye week. Uh, and here's the thing that gets me. You know, these losses to these sub-500 teams, the Saints, the Jaguars, and then again the Colts on Sunday, uh, you, you, you've got two victories, one against the Texans, who have a worse record, the only team that has a worse record than the Raiders, and of course the Broncos, who the Raiders will get another shot at uh, this week. But, uh, Sam, the synopsis here is this team is just really a, a mess in all phases. Um, before we, we get into the whole season thing, give me your take since we're talking about you know the game on Sunday where we saw each other. Uh, what was your thoughts on on Sunday's performance? Well, TC, um, it was a game I thought, the, I mean, just considering the circumstance, right, um, the Raiders should have won that game. I mean, they're at home. <laughs> they're uh, playing against a team with a, a new head coach, a head coach that had never coached um, beyond the uh, the high school level before, not as, not as a head coach. And um, it was, quite frankly, I thought a game that Josh McDaniels um, as a coach needed to win and the Raiders needed to win, um, from, just for the, from a morale standpoint, considering how, uh, what happened the previous two weeks against New Orleans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Lo and behold, Jeff Saturday's team is the more prepared team, the more, the more poised team and the more executed team, 
or the, the, the better executing team throughout the course of the four quarters. And, and again, um, I thought, even though I thought the, the Raiders should have won that game at home, I thought, I mean, they were, they, you know, the, 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 the point spread reflected that they, that they were the betting favorite. Um, they should have taken care of business. I wasn't just all, at all surprised based on kind of the tenor of, of, of the Raiders season. I, I think the only thing, um, that you can, can really take away from it at, at this point now with, with how, um, they let the lead slip away and just with the way that they, you know, played throughout the course of the four quarters is, um, as I wrote after the Jacksonville Jaguars game, this season is over. And I think the dialogue, what you're hearing out of Raiders headquarters now, kind of the tenor of, of Josh McDaniels reflects that the, the Raiders are, I mean, it's no secret they're not making the playoffs this year, but everything they do, um, from this point forward would seem to be forward thinking, right? Now that's not, doesn't mean you're going to go out there and necessarily try and lose games. And players certainly aren't ever going to tank. Um, they're, they're very proud. They want to win, and, and, and nor should they. Uh, but from an organizational standpoint, uh, when you lose to a team with a head coach that had never coached before, and, and even beyond that, right, forget the coaching aspect. The, the Colts just weren't good. I mean, regardless of their situation, even with Frank Reich, I mean, there's a reason that Jeff Saturday was on the sideline. This was a Colts team that was badly underachieving. That was one of the worst offensive teams uh, in the NFL, and they came, they came and moved the ball and had no problem going up and down the field against the Raiders. So, you can uh, you can forget about this season. That's been the case now for a couple of weeks, and and, and now it's about moving forward uh, and seeing what you can do to build for next year. We have, the, of course, Mark Davis telling our you know our, our columnist at, at the Review Journal, Ed Graney, that um, John, you know gave Jake gave gave uh, Josh McDaniels a resounding uh, endorsement. So, um, also saw a report from the Athletic that he'll be back in 2023. So, any drastic changes that Raiders fans want, they're not going to be happening. Uh, and the, uh, the the loss of the Colts just reflects the the, the, you know, the chaotic state of, state of affairs that that this franchise continues to seem to go through. And you know, knowing Mark Davis, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And you know, fans they're irrational for the most part. I mean, you know, because they want they want someone's head. I mean, in the middle of the season. To be fair to Josh McDaniel, now I you know, I'll say this, Sam, and I'll get your opinion here in a minute, but. We don't know if Josh McDaniels can coach. I mean, I said that from the very beginning. If we look at his resume as a head coach, it it was not good at all, you know, in Denver, and he hasn't started out good here as well. My question is, you know, can he be a leader of men? How can he command a locker room? And these are questions that are now really glaring under the spotlight. But with all that being said, you can, I guess, use the the card in your back pocket say, well, he doesn't have his, his own guys, you know, him and Dave Ziegler, they need time to, you know, to, to build a, a team. And I get that. So I understand where Mark's going with this because Mark is already coming off the huge embarrassment with John Gruden. All right. And everything else that happened last year from the Henry Ruggs thing to everything else. So he's not going to make a change abruptly. He's hoping that McDaniels can turn out to be what he thinks he could be. But he just wants to squash this kind of talk now and give the guy the vote of confidence, which I can purely see. I I, I get that sure. because it, you know. But are we going to see anything different? Only time will tell. But you know, right now for what he's running and the personnel that the Raiders have, you know, like most teams for a first year head coach, is probably it, it's probably not a great mix. But the question is, what is going to change? And you would think. That, you know, if you're looking for a sign that, okay, I've got the right guy, that you would at least see him to be able to maybe handle the locker room better. I mean, heck, Jeff Saturday comes in here and, and maybe more of a mess than what the Raiders situation is. 
but he comes in and says, hey, I'm a great leader of men. I have this confidence. He has a relationship with players. And those guys played hard for him. I mean, if we go back to the last two games for the Colts, they were downright dreadful. And you just saw the Colts team that we expected to see in September on Sunday. And I really believe that is 100% a factor on Jeff Saturday gathering these guys together when he took the job and having them for those three, four days and saying, listen, we're going to go out there and we're going to compete. We've got the tools to do this. I think that's what fans would like to see Josh McDaniels do. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you, CC. I think, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of traits um, that head coaches need to have, right, at the NFL level, uh, a lot of them. And, and I, you know, touched on this in a piece um, that I wrote for Sunday's Review Journal, just kind of on what goes into the transition from, from coordinator to coach and kind of the number one takeaway that I had just in talking to former coaches um, and a former executive, Tony Dungy, Brad Childers, and Phil Pullian, who I really appreciate for their time and just kind of giving me some additional perspective beyond what I was able to glean um, at the Raiders facility is that it's, it's about organization and it's about leadership above all, above all else. Those are the most important factors. And then, of course, an expertise on one side of the ball or the other is, is huge as well um, and, and super important. But the biggest thing is, is that leadership piece and that organization piece and that structure piece. You know what I'm saying, TC? And, and so far, like, like you said, we just haven't seen that um, as a head coach from Josh McDaniels, 7-24 and uh, in his last 31 games as a head coach. They've blown three, you know, 17-point leads this year. They were shot out against New Orleans. So, what, what, And then you see the reaction, kind of some of the dialogue and the discourse from the players publicly and some of the comments about not having the buy-in and whatnot and, and not everybody's bought in. That I think all that falls onto the head coach. But, but um, we'll see what happens. Like you said, in terms of the voter confidence, I don't think at this point of the season, right, midway through his first year, making a drastic change wasn't going to do it. Like, that's not going to fix anything anyways. There's no quick fix here. This is the situation that they're in. And, uh, of course, Mark Davis isn't going to want to pay three head coaches at the same time, considering what he's dealing with with John Gruden as well. So it, it, it's, it's, it's certainly been underwhelming. And, and they haven't had the, the success, um, all, you know, six one-score games. They've lost all six of them. And situationally, they just haven't been good. Disorganized, um, untimely penalties, and just not able to execute uh, in big stretches. So, again, we'll see uh, if the coaching staff and the new regime can get things turned around uh, at Henderson so far. Based on what we know, all we can go by is what we've seen so far and some of the moves and the transactions uh, that they've made. There's nothing to suggest imminently uh, that that's going to happen. But, again, like like you said, Mark Davis uh, issuing the, the vote of confidence believes that Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels are the tandem to get this thing going and turn around. Um, but we'll have to see if that takes place because it hasn't happened at all um, this year. In fact, if anything, the wheels are coming off in real time. And, and this is a two and seven football team that did not have designs of being two and seven. That was expected both internally and externally uh, to compete for the playoffs. And again, had a good enough roster to build a 17 nothing lead at Arrowhead Stadium and, and to, to, to build big leads over multiple teams. So if, if, the, if, if there was a little bit more poise, a little bit more execution, a little bit better execution of big spots, um, the situation would wouldn't be what it is, but uh, last year we are, and then the Raiders are two and seven, looking at next year, looking at moving forward. Sam, I want to use this parallel. Speaking of Mark Davis, and you can totally relate to this, like I can. Okay, so you look at the Aces, and sure, they were coming off a playoff season, just like the Raiders were last year. They made a head coaching change, and they had talent coming back. Raiders had talent coming back, and they've had the Raiders added to that with Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, and and others. Becky Hammond comes in, you have a new voice compared to Bill Lambeer, and you saw how the players reacted, and you saw what Becky Hammond did. 
Same thing with Josh McDaniels. He comes in and, you know, it's a totally different approach. Becky just connected with these players, uh, has the utmost experience. Uh, you know, it, even though she hadn't coached in the WNBA before, but there was just something there that was this connectivity, this fire. And then you go to the Raiders and Josh McDaniel, same situation, kind of a new guy coming in, has a chance to win this team over. And it looks like to me that he hasn't. So it can be done. And we just mentioned Jeff Saturday. Now, very, very, very small sample size here. Okay. But doesn't Jeff Saturday is more reminiscent maybe of Becky Hammond and just the connectivity here. So I think, you know, we can look at that, especially you and I could look at these two dynamics and say, wait a minute, you know, if, if Becky can do it, Josh McDaniels can, can, can do this and have a much better rapport than what we've seen thus far and not having a crumbling locker room. Or, or maybe he can't, do you see? Like, that's, right, right. I mean, there you go. Like, maybe he go. can't. Like, right. we, we, at this juncture, here's one, one thing we do know. There was buy-in for Rich Passaccia, right? There was buy-in there. That team had a camaraderie to it, yes. and there was a unity to it, and there was, um, you know, and I think part of that has to do with what they went through, everything that kind of happened off the field last year with, with, with John Gruden and Henry Ruggs and whatnot, that, that it was um, the, 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 that group developed a bond having to endure so much devastation um, together. And there was a buy-in for Rich Visaccia. That's, that's so, so the fact that we haven't seen that um, from 10, through, through 10 weeks and that you're seeing these comments, these public comments that Derek Carr, that Devontae Adams um, have been making uh, without necessarily naming names, but just referencing the lack of buy-in, again, I think that falls um, on coaching to a certain point, right? That, that, that Josh McDaniels has not been able to kind of Put his imprint, you know, the, the the imprint that he wanted to um, on this team, and then again, and again, in terms of this season, as far as that's concerned, uh, it's not happening. So until he shows that, until there is a turnaround, right? I, why am I to think otherwise that it's going to happen? We have to remember what happened in Denver, the lack of success that he had there, um, and that was after a six and zero start. And that you know, you're seeing, I think, some of those factors come into play uh, again here. So again, we'll we'll see what happens the rest of the season and, and kind of going into the off season. Uh, moving forward uh, in terms of what changes are made in uh, uh, personnel. I think one thing that um, is starting to maybe potentially crystallize, again, nothing nothing that is set in stone until, of course, it happens, but the Raiders can part ways with Derek Carr, right, TC, right, right after the season um, and get out of a lot of the guaranteed money on his contract. So my guess would be that something is going to happen um, there. The, the, the new regime is going to get the opportunity to, to kind of select a quarterback they want to build around and try and go from there. But if the particulars, if the leadership and the structure and the way that the team is run, uh, isn't, it doesn't change. I don't think, I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter who the personnel was. This is a 10 and seven football team that in theory upgraded, right. At, that spent money that was aggressive in the off season, reflecting, um, a, a desire to go further than the first round of the playoffs, um, which is where they went last year. And, and so far it's been pretty much worst case scenario all the way around. So, I think, I mean, Josh McDaniels has everything to prove. So far, the track record suggests um, that he's in over his head. It's only him and his staff by winning games and rebuilding this roster uh, can prove otherwise because that's where we're at with the 2-7 and seven record at this point in the season. Sam Gordon joins us, Las Vegas Review Journal, talking about the Raiders. Sam, you were at the press conference where we talked about uh, the emotional Derek Carr, what he had to say. Then you had the stoic, vanilla Josh McDaniels comments. I, I imagine you probably went in the locker room afterwards and you could see that that locker room pretty much was 
like a morgue. I mean, it was, you know, yeah. it was silent. Give me, give me your take on that. And, you know, we've both been around a lot of our locker rooms, joyous ones, uh, distraught ones, uh, kind of paint the picture for our listeners, what you took on that and maybe compare it to, to something else that you've been in, involved with in your career covering. And, uh, and also talk about what the effect of Derek Carr's comments could have going forward with his teammates in this locker room. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just, you know, even losing locker rooms, right? It, 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 you can be in a, a losing locker room where the morale isn't, isn't completely gone, right? Where, where it's not a morgue, where it's not lifeless in there. This was a little different. I think this was rock bottom for the Raiders. And, and, and you, you have to, you know, applying the context that they got shut out by the New Orleans Saints and not a very good New Orleans Saints team as we've continued to see. Uh, they blew a 17-point lead to the Jacksonville Jaguars and then losing again to, to a, a, a first-time head coach uh, at home at Allegiant Stadium and kind of what was your last gasp effort. Not that they were going to rattle off a bunch of victories anyways and, and, and return to the playoffs, but from a mathematical perspective, uh, an opportunity to at least kind of convince yourself that, hey, maybe you can stay afloat. And for that to just not happen and not to happen the way it did, uh, I mean, the locker room, I mean, players got out of there as quickly as possible, and I, I get it, right? They wanted to, they didn't want to be around and, and have to, um, you know, kind of sit in that in that environment and that energy uh, anymore. And then the comments that we did hear from players, I mean, guys are frustrated. Guys are fed up, and understandably so. This is this was not the expectation um, starting the season. So it was a very, very quiet, relatively empty um, locker room compared to, again, even some of the losing locker rooms um, that you and I have been in in the past. This is a team that I think the locker room, I guess the word our columnist Ed Graney used on in his column Monday was splintered. And I would say that's an accurate assessment when you have multiple leaders on the team subliminally referencing guys not being bought in. I think, I mean, well, the comments could be fraying. They could be disruptive. They could be damaging. But at that point, I'm not sure it really matters because the season is what it is. They're already two and seven. You're already seeing some of that, I guess, fracture and some of the, the strife that this team um, it is enduring, and now it, it, it feels like uh, you know just kind of a race to get to the end of the year. So again, I, I do think um, the, the players they want to win. They, 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 this is as disappointing for them as anybody else, the fans, the coaching staff, anybody included. This isn't the kind of showing or representing that they wanted to have. Um, but but definitely um, just an underwhelming, just a sense of underwhelming of of, of underwhelming frust- you know frustration and disappointment. Um, that this team has really, quite frankly, gone, gone dealt with all throughout the course of the season since the season started. So where do you go from here? I mean, we'll see what the response is on, on Sunday um, in Denver because the, the Broncos, they're, they're in a similar situation where they're, they've totally underwhelmed uh, and haven't met expectations and aren't in the mix as well. So it's two teams that have kind of experienced parallels with the way their season has gone, and it's, it's fitting that they, they play Sunday because somebody's going to have to win that game. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, change gears here real quick, Sam, and let's talk a little boxing. Of course, uh, you cover the squared circle for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, and and you and I love talking boxing. And Saturday night, you had a fight at the Palms, uh, a top-ranked card. Uh, Main event was was pretty one-sided, you know, a middleweight uh, bout. But I want to yep. talk to you about the undercard. The undercard was, yep. po- you know, we could be possibly seeing the next local sensation here, and that is uh, Emiliano Fernando Vargas. Now, we know Fernando Vargas, uh, the former boxer. Uh, you fought Oscar De La Hoya and had some battles and, you know, former champ. And uh, Fernando Vargas has lived here in Vegas for, for quite some time now, and he has is training his sons. He's got a couple. Yep. And uh, Emiliano Fernando Vargas fought... Uh, I believe his second pro fight 
was on Saturday night at, at the Palms and he had a second round knockout. Uh, looked very, very impressive. You did, I thought, a great column that talked about him, talked about Fernando, talked about the relationship and everything. And give me your thoughts, first of all, on the younger Vargas and, and, and talk a little bit, you know, about, uh, you know, your column in which you, uh, you know, what you found out, you know, talking to these guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, first and foremost, right, like you mentioned, I think a spectacular knockout. Uh, and, and look, he's he's a prospect. He's just getting started. He's 18 years old. Um, so so right now he's at the stage where you're developing him. You're getting, It's about getting him experience, putting him in situations where he's going to be able to grow and develop as a fighter. And, and to have a, a hometown debut on ESPN – uh, for a second pro fight, I don't think it could have gone any better from 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 top ranks perspective, uh, and from his perspective with with how you want to kind of start your career uh, on that stage. So um, he he's the youngest again, youngest of three brothers, right? Um, his dad, like like we said, like like you touched on TC was a champion at 154 pounds, youngest um, you know super welterweight champion ever, I believe, at 21 when he won um, the belt for the first time, and, and just a colorful personality and character, um, that, that has been involved with in boxing and, and around for a long time. And you see, you know, his son's personality, Emiliano Fernando Vargas, you see his personality, the charisma, some of the same swagger that his father had. Um, uh, but he's his own man as well. And it, it is, it's very cognizant about starting his own legacy out of the three, um, sons he's regarded as the, you know, the blue chip prospect has a storied amateur career, 110 and 10, um, record, I believe several national championships, and there was just a kind of a confidence about him that he expects superstardom. Um, he knows what it looks like and what it takes uh, to get to that level of be- being uh, the son of a former world champion who has fought the ap- at the absolute apex uh, of the sport. Some of the biggest names and, and some of the biggest venues been on pay-per-view cards that have sold over a million, uh, done over a million buys. So, you know, he's very careful and, and he wants to be very careful and, and cognizant of how he's developing his son and they're kind of drawing on what he learned through his career and, make, and making sure that Emilio Fernando Vargas has the best opportunity uh, to reach his goals, which is, as he shared with me, being a champion, of course, in multiple weight classes, uh, being an undisputed champion and, and being at the, at the pinnacle of the sport. So there was a, a certain maturity that he had, just a certain poise that I felt like he had when I, when I got to spend some time with him and his dad. Uh, in the gym and saw the way that they worked. And, you know, he wants to be a superstar. And again, he has the personality. He has the charisma. Uh, he has the raw talent in terms of his boxing ability. He's a switch hitter. So he can, he can fight out of the orthodox or the South, the Southpaw stance. Uh, he's got power in both hands. And it's just about kind of refining some of the fundamentals um, that'll determine his ceiling and how far he goes. But again, it was a splendid, uh, an absolutely splendid debut and a, a heck of a start for, uh, for Emiliano, Emiliano Fernando Vargas, who again, for some of our local listeners, um, was at Legacy High School for a couple of years and probably represents, uh, Vegas. And based on the reaction we saw in the crowd, he already has a little bit of a hometown following. It was a huge pop for him, uh, after the knockout and the crowd really enjoyed him taking kind of the victory lap uh, around the ring on top of his father's shoulders. So. Uh, you know, uh, a top prospect, a blue chip prospect, and 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 it's it's up to him how far um, he he takes things because the potential, the talent, and the charisma are, are all there. It's about developing at the right trajectory, and it, he has the team around him to do so. Another uh, top rank uh, prospect who's been on the show several times, Nico Ali Walsh. Another guy went to Bishop Gorman. Here's another young fighter. Maybe you know, not with the he's got the name, but he didn't have the storied amateur background like say uh, Emiliano Fernando Var. Vargas has, but here are two young up and comers. The top rank has has signed, and they're going to be showcasing, especially a lot here in Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. And, and top rank has really kind of gone the way of, of 
um, investing in and developing their younger prospects, right? So you see, I mean, we, we see some of their younger prospects. They have several former Olympians. And in their next card on, I believe it is December 9th, uh, the Teofimo Lopez is headlining it at the Hulo Theater at Madison Square Garden. Or maybe it's in Madison Square Garden. Either way, in New yes, York City. Right. Yep. Um, you got, you got, yep, you got, you know, Jared Big Baby Anderson. You're one of the top, probably the top American heavyweight prospect. You have Keyshawn Davis. Uh, a, pre- uh, a premier prospect at 135 pounds, former Olympic silver medalist uh, at the Games a couple of years ago, uh, and then Xander Zayas as well, uh, the 154-pounder uh, from Puerto Rico who, who has who has a, a unique skill set and charisma as well. So top rank, um, I think they you know they tend to do a good job with their younger fighters and are able to they have a plan and blueprint for how they want to develop them. Um, and Emiliano Fernando Vargas, you know, fits that bill, and then Nico. Ali Wash, too. I, I know you mentioned TC, like you said, right? Not quite the, the storied amateur pedigree. So it's a little bit different of a, of a developmental platform or a developmental trajectory for him as well. Um, but with, with kind of the, the story that he has um, and just the, the, the spirit and the charisma that he has as well, uh, it makes sense why Top Rank is invested in him. And he, so far, we've seen improvement from Nico Ali Walsh throughout the course of his, you know, first seven or eight fights. So, um, they they do a good job with young fighters, and that it could, seems to be the blueprint that they're working with moving forward. All right, final thing here, Sam, uh, on that card as well too. On the women's side, uh, Sinisa Superbad Estrada uh, made her return to the ring. She was off for nearly a year, and uh, mm-hmm. she is something special. A WBA minimum weight. A lot of people don't know what the minimum weight is, uh, Sam, but it's, it's probably around the strawweight division, even less than that, I guess. But a very one sided decision. Where, uh, she beat, uh, her opponent from Argentina with Jasmine Gala, uh, Villarino. Uh, all three judges scored a shutout. But, uh, just talk a little bit about her when you're talking about, you know, on the women's side of, of these fighters, uh, for our listeners that have not got a chance to see her yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just, she's very exciting fighter. Um, very, very aggressive style comes forward, applies pressure. And this fight for her, right? It was just about, like you said, DC, knocking off some of that ring rust. She's a world class fighter, one of the top pound for pound women, um, in the world, a two weight, a two weight world champion from East Los Angeles. Uh, and just was kind of stuck, stuck in the mud with, with a situation with Golden Boy where there was a contract dispute and she wasn't getting what she wanted, not getting the fights she wanted, the, the money she wanted and top rank. Um, went and signed her, and 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 what's it's one and what's been a banner year for women's boxing with Serrano Taylor, with uh, Bumgarner Mayer, um, with, with Clarissa Shields and, and Savannah Marshall, and just all the great champions that have fought this year. Uh, I think it was huge for her to get active again, and now with top ranks, so she's going to be fighting on ESPN, um, with, with whom they have a uh, a broadcast contract, and is just one of the most exciting fighters. Um, on the women's side. So it's, it's huge that she's back in action and the momentum around women's boxing, um, has continued to build. One thing that women's boxing did this year that the men's side didn't necessarily do is it delivered the biggest possible fights. You had fights for undisputed. You had a fight, uh, a, a women's fight headlining and selling out Madison Square Garden with Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. And Sinisa Estrada has that, that superstar kind of potential, uh, and, and very exciting as well. So. Uh, I expect it's not going to be long before she's back in the championship scene looking to unify and vie for undisputed. She wants to be an undisputed champion in three weight classes, and um, that's that, she certainly has the talent and, and ability to do so. So uh, she put on a show. Again, like you said, one-sided, but I think fans got uh, fans who are new um, to her got to see what her style is like. She's all action all the time uh, and definitely one of the top female fighters in the world. So great for her. 
um, to get back in action and huge for the the sport in general um, that she's back. You got it. All right. And hopefully we'll see more of her and and more fights uh, coming your way back to Vegas here, especially with top rank. Sam, appreciate the time as always. Great stuff. Continue to uh, check out Sam at the Las Vegas Review Journal, whether it's old school, uh, get in the paper, go online. And of course, he's a great follow on Twitter too, at by Sam Gordon. Sam, appreciate you, brother. There he is. All right. Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal, one of our regulars here. All right. We come back. Talk a little terrible Tuesday. <laughs> Check out his big stethoscope. Or not. It's the Dr. T.C. Martin. California. All right, let's drive some votes for my man Jay Schrader, huh? Jay Schrader, the Raiders recipient, or I should say the nominee, for the Salute to Service Award, the NFL Salute to Service Award, where each team nominates a representative, whether they are a current player or within the organization or an alumnus of the organization. And Jay Schrader is the Raiders nominee for the 2022 Salute to Service Award. You can vote at NFL.com. And Jay, a huge advocate for his charity here in Las Vegas for veterans, the Liberty Projects. Shiloh Ranch is the headquarters for the Liberty Projects, where Jay's commitment to supporting the military extends to his daily dealings out there. He helps advocate and raise money for the charitable organization dedicated to the preservation and well-being of our veterans and the American Wild Mustangs. The ranch allows veterans an outlet to interact with horses for training, rehabilitation, and camaraderie. And we know that uh, Jay does a fantastic job out there. That is his baby. And uh, so the Raiders came out there last week and said, hey, you're our nominee for the Salute to Service Award winner. And that would be fantastic for him. It is a voting thing. So go vote for Jay Schrader. All right. Uh, Former Raider. Former Washington Redskins, Super Bowl champion, of course, a regular on our show here. So go to NFL.com and vote and scroll down to the Salute to Service Award and vote for Jay Schrader. All right. You got a couple weeks still left to vote. All right. That is a great thing, even though today is a terrible Tuesday. It's terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. All right. All right. So nothing more terrible than the tragedy that took place at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. Uh, over the weekend, uh, three University of Virginia football players were shot and killed uh, in just a tragic event uh, that happened on Sunday. Uh, junior wide receiver Lavelle Davis Jr., um, junior wide receiver Devin Chandler, and another junior defensive end, Deshaun Perry, were all killed. The gunman was a former University of Virginia player, Christopher Darnell Jones. He is 22 years old. He actually was on the football team back in 2018 when Bronco Mendenhall was the coach. He was just there for a very short period of time, uh, but still 
was a student uh, at Virginia. All of these players were part of a field trip to Washington, D.C. on Sunday. And uh, on the way back, uh, Jones shot five people on the bus bringing all these Virginia students back. Three were killed. Two other were wounded. Jones was apprehended around 11 a.m. yesterday. He was arrested and charged with three counts of second-degree murder and three counts of using a handgun in the commission of a felony. Now, Jones was actually found with a gun going back to last year. So this is not the first time that he has been in some trouble. However, he had a gun on campus, but was never arrested, and there were no charges that were made against him. There was actually people on the campus of Virginia that knew uh, of the gun, but they didn't do anything about it. And then here, a year later, he uses a gun to violently commit this act and kill three people. A senseless tragedy. Every time we have these type of incidents, whether they're sports-related or not, it just, it's sad. And three innocent victims were killed. Three young college students lost their lives. Two others seriously injured and are in the hospital right now. Mike Hollins, the University of Virginia running back, was one of those that was injured. He is recovering as the bullet went. He was shot in the back and ended up in his stomach. Doctors were able to perform an emergency surgery with Hollins and get the bullet out. And he is in stable condition, recovering, and uh, do not know if he will ever play football again. But just a sad story. Another one of these shootings at a school. And I saw an interview with Mike Holland's father earlier today. And he said, you would never expect this when you send your child off to college especially a very highly decorated, respectable university like the University of Virginia, going to a university with higher learning like this, you don't expect them to to be shot or killed. And just a travesty. And again, it's one guy that has some problems, made a mistake, and essentially killed people. doesn't really reflect what the University of Virginia is all about, but again, just a a bad story that has come to light and uh, a lot of dark days coming at the University of Virginia right now. They canceled their basketball game last night. They are not sure what they are going to do moving forward with their football program since these were football players. There is a possibility that the university may shut down the football program. We'll know more about that after the chancellors and the presidents decide what they're going to do at the University of Virginia. But again, uh, a very tragic, tragic story coming out that, uh, you know, hate to hear about, but uh, just terrible day. And uh, thoughts and prayers going out to all of those involved, families, friends, the victims, and uh, everybody there in Charlottesville.
All right, back to some of our terrible Tuesday takes. Going back to the Raiders. We've talked a lot about the Raiders the last two days, but why not talk a little bit more and and point out what is wrong with this team? The Raiders' woes continue. They are a team that is currently 2-7 and right now, 0-6 in one-score games. How has a team become 0-6 in one-score games? That is downright awful. And it's kind of mind-boggling, especially for a team that had all of these high hopes. Now, you could say the Raiders were a playoff team last year, but let's remember, they were 10-7, and barely squeaked into the playoffs. I know people will say, well, it could have beat the Cincinnati Bengals, who ended up going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, this is not a good Raiders team. It wasn't a great Raiders team last year. We have talked time and time again that this franchise has been in the doldrums for the better part of the last 20 years. But going to this year's team, you hire a coach with virtually no head coaching experience, and it is coming back to haunt you now. So yeah, Raider fans, they are disappointed. One in three after the bye. Losses to sub-500 teams. The Saints, the Jaguars, and the Colts on Sunday. Their only two wins were against... Teams that are as bad as them. Houston Texans, the only team, standings-wise, that is worse than the Raiders. It won 7-1, and and then they beat the Denver Broncos earlier on. This team is a mess in all phases. It is all falling apart now. We played you the audio yesterday from Derek Carr. Emotional, crying, saying that he's pissed off. He's saying other teammates are not as invested in him. Some very dangerous words without naming names. Devontae Adams, again, making comments to the media on Sunday afterwards. Did not face the press conference, but said some things in front of his locker. Did an article with the Fresno Bee, you know, his hometown. And his, I'm paraphrasing here, saying, why should we expect anything to change? It's been the same old, same old week after week. He is frustrated, like I've said time and time again. This is a guy who is not used to losing. He comes from Green Bay. He's used to going to the playoffs without even a second thought. And he's used to catching passes from an elite quarterback. Well, he came back to be reunited with Derek Carr. He bought into the Raiders system. He bought into coming to Las Vegas. He has to be closer to home. But this is not what he signed up for. I don't think this is what anybody signed up for. But there's a lot to blame. Of course, the quarterback and the head coach are going to get a majority of the blame. But guys that are cashing paychecks right now, like Chandler Jones, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro. Now, granted, Waller and Renfro have not been healthy to participate. Chandler Jones has been on the field. Should he be getting a lot of the fire aimed at him? Yeah, I think so. Even though Josh McDaniels has covered up for him and saying that, hey, he does stuff that doesn't show up in the stat sheet. Max Crosby and really no one else on that defense that, again, is one of the worst in all of the National Football League. There's We're nine games into the season, and fans have already said they've had enough of this team. Barely past the midway point, but there's still eight games to go. Mentally, this team looks like it's done. We have no idea what they are going to look like even though they're playing a Denver team that is just as bad as them.
But then again, look at the teams they faced the last three weeks. The Colts, the Jaguars, and the Saints, all in disarray. Every one of them, just as bad as the Raiders, if not worse. But the Raiders lose to all three and have a chance to lose to the Broncos. I'll say one thing about the Broncos. The Broncos play one-score games. Okay? They've had five one-score games that they lost this year. It's going to be a close game, and Denver's going to show up to play. Who's in better shape, the Raiders or the Broncos? We will have to wait and see. But you know who's also given up on the Raiders? The fans. I could not believe in that game on Sunday how much blue was in the stadium. At Allegiant Stadium, I can understand when you're playing the Chiefs and when you're playing the Broncos, and you have that history, you have those fan bases. But for games last year, with Washington, who was atrocious, Philly's got a nice fan base, but they weren't playing very well last year. Miami Dolphins, they don't have a great fan base, especially here on the West Coast. All The Bears were another one, playing awful last year. But it was just as loud when those teams scored as the Raiders. But the Colts making a a a coaching change and firing their head coach and hiring Jeff Saturday. The Colts, did they travel well? They sure did on Sunday. It was amazing how much blue was in Allegiant Stadium and how loud it was. That is where this franchise is. Now, do you want to blame the fans for selling their tickets? Some fans just say, you know what? It's too expensive to go to games at Allegiant Stadium. So we're going to go ahead and sell our tickets. We're going to try to make some of that money back. And then when the team is losing, they're definitely not going to go, and they're going to sell their tickets. But this is an apathetic fan base. We talk about it with UNLV, with football and the basketball program. You see apathy. Can you blame fans? It's tough because everybody wants to be part of a winner. But when you have the long losing trend that you've had in this town with UNLV football and to a certain degree with basketball. But now the Raiders, they're a new team, but remember they're a transplant team. They're not organically grown here. But to see, so you don't expect to see 65,000 wearing silver and black. That's not the case. It hasn't been the case since day one, but now they're losing. It is getting worse and worse. There are empty seats in Allegiant Stadium and there are visiting fans colors that are really predominant. So crowd-wise, there is no home field advantage for the Raiders anymore. That is the pathetic part. There's no home field. They might as well be playing back in Oakland. Well, heck, we know in Oakland they'd have a home base there. They might as well be playing in Los Angeles. Honestly, they are no different than the Chargers when you think about it. Seriously. And I know Raider fans don't like to hear that, but remember the Chargers when they moved from San Diego down to Carson and they're playing in a 28,000-seat stadium where they basically had no fans, was all visiting fans? This is the same thing. It's come out to be the exact same thing. And with a couple home games left, what do you think you're going to see when the Patriots come? What do you think you're going to see when the Niners come? Raider fans were circling New Year's Day when the 49ers come here. They're going, oh boy, here we go, man. It's going to be great. We, we've got our old Bay Area rivals here. There's no rivals. Niner fans will dwarf the Raider fans on New Year's Day. 
That is pathetic. That is sad. But it should be expected. It really should be expected because of a transplant team that is not playing well. And then when the Raiders left the field, and we saw it towards the end of last season, the fans are booing the Raiders. Can't blame them. But that's what I want to see. I want to see that game against San Francisco because the Niners are playing great. The Niners, despite just being a couple of games over 500, they're competing for a Super Bowl. Do you think they want to come to Vegas, Niner fans? Do you know how many Niner fans already reside here in Vegas? Man, if you think that it was bad Sunday, you think that you know Patriot fans are going to show up, wait till you see what happens with the Niner fans. But this is just a very, very bad situation for the Raiders right now. All right. Major League Baseball, Yasio Puig is back in the news. For what, you say? Well, Yasio Puig is playing professional baseball in South Korea. Signed a one-year, $1 million contract. He's out of Major League Baseball. Probably busted out a little bit early. From 2013 to 2019. That was it for Yasio Puig. Well, he busted out in another way. Yasiel Puig was busted for betting on baseball. That's right. Puig, who, like I said, plays in South Korea, agreed to plead guilty to federal charge of lying to law enforcement officials about sports bets that he made with an illegal gambling operator. Now, we're not talking about betting on Korean games. No, we're talking about when he was here with the Dodgers. So this news comes out years later. But Puig... Plead guilty one count of making false statements, a crime that carries a maximum sentence of five years in a federal prison. Also agreed to pay a fine of at least $55,000. Now, Puig played for the Dodgers, the Reds, and the Indians at the time in Cleveland. Seven years in major leagues from those years that we talked about, 2013 and 2019, began placing bets on sporting events in May of 2019 through a third party who worked for an illegal gambling operation run by Wayne Nix. Now, Wayne Nix was a former minor league baseball player. Uh, by June of 2019, how much money do you think Yasiel Puig was behind in gambling debts? Be conservative here. What do you think? What do you think Puig was betting? $13 million? Thir- million? Million. No, million. no, no, no. Now, this is not Mattress Mac. You're not going to be able to take bets like that. True. So, you know, see, I, I said not, not to go too crazy here. All right. Yasiel Puig, at that point in time, was down $283,000. Down $283,000 in bets during this, this year, less than a year. Uh, so he had to pay off over 200000 in his losses. He regained accesses to Nix's controlled betting websites, and Puig was placed... On in on eight hundred and ninety nine additional bets on tennis, football, and basketball games from Fourth of July twenty nineteen to September 29th. This guy went on a rampage, betting and losing baseball, tennis, football, and basketball games. But Yasiel Puig could do some time for a little illegal gambling there. All right. Finally, uh, Tim Hardaway. Remember Tim Hardaway? Run TMC. Member of the Warriors. Tim Hardaway, not the best of light right now. Tim Hardaway doing a little color analyst for the Golden State Warriors. Tim's got to be careful what he says on these broadcasts. 
Right. He knows he can't get out. So y'all thought that was great D. I thought that was just raping him. <laughs> I think well, he came it, it, it could have went either way. Yeah, I think it you should have called the police on that. Right. <laughs> Ooh, Tim Hardaway. Talk, okay, Ray, uh, the Warriors are playing the Spurs, and Warriors guard bringing the ball up court uh, got fouled by a San Antonio Spur player, and that was Hardaway's comment. It was like, ooh, call the police. I think it was rape. Hard foul. You're saying rape. You know that's not going to go over well. Not in today's society. Tim Hardaway needed to apologize. Hey, hey, everybody. I, uh, I used a poor choice of words earlier in the broadcast. I want to apologize for that. And, um, you know, let's get back to the game and let's finish this game off with a 30-point win and, and, and go home happy. Awesome. That's Tim Hardaway basically being caught. Director saying, listen, man, you shouldn't have said that. Okay, what am I going to do? Impromptu apology. At least he apologized. But do you think the apology was sincere? I mean, obviously, he felt embarrassed. Again, Tim Hardaway is not a professional broadcaster. And you got to be careful of what you say, especially in this woke society. What are, what are our friend Steve Sachs say? Oh, it's almost time for the woke rap. The woke rap. I think you just need to go back to yesterday's show and record that segment and just have that, you know, in our hotkeys so you can just automatically hit the woke rap. Because we need the woke rap. Yes. Tim Hardaway. Bad, 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 bad. All right. Some terrible Tuesday takes for you here. All right. Appreciate Lincoln Kennedy for joining us. Talking Raiders today, along with Sam Gordon. Uh, great takes there. Great thoughts there. Diving into the comments by Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, everyone's thoughts. What is going on with the Raiders? We'll continue to talk about that. What will happen coming up Sunday as the Raiders take on the Denver Broncos on the road? We'll dive into more of that. Take a look at the week ahead, week number 11 in the NFL with Trevor Maddich. He will join us tomorrow, so look forward to that. That and a whole lot more coming your way. Appreciate you for joining us. You know what to do. Go to the website. Check it all out at tcmartinshow.com for our current Raider blog that's on the homepage and of course the interviews up on the homepage as well as the classic interviews and the current interview page as well. Everything is there. The past shows, the podcasts, all there for you at your disposal at tcmartinshow.com. All right. Appreciate everyone for joining us. UNLV in action tonight at the Thomas and Mac tonight. Looking forward to going out there. University of Dayton. Dayton ranked 21st in the country, a perennial powerhouse year in, year out. This will be the first test for the Rebels this year. What is going to happen with Kevin Kruger's team? Two victories against lesser opponents so far. We'll see what happens tonight. Tip it off at 8 o'clock. Looking forward to being out there. We'll recap it tomorrow right here. We'll see you on a Wednesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show tomorrow at 2.